Hello, everyone, and welcome to Music for a While. I'm Jay Nordlinger, music critic of the New Criterion. Happy New Year. A review I wrote began, There were six of them. Six Baroque concertos performed in a concert of the Chamber Music Society in Alice Tully Hall. Four of those concertos were by Italians, Albinoni, Locatelli, Tartini, and Vivaldi. The others were by Germans, Telemann and Bach. Of course, Bach was known to write Italian concertos, too. He sure did. But we're going to listen to Vivaldi, a flute concerto of his in D major. Its nickname is Gardellino, which I believe is a Venetian way of saying Cardellino, which is Italian, standard Italian, for goldfinch. Yes, this is a birdie concerto. We'll hear the final movement. heard the final movement, Allegro, of Vivaldi's Concerto in D Major for Flute and Others, Opus 10, Number 3. Our soloist was Jed Wentz, along with some skillful friends. Again, I'm Jay Nordlinger, music critic of the New Criterion, bringing you music for a while. 
If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, you may do so via iTunes, Google Play, etc. If you'd like to write to me, the address is nordlinger at newcriterion.com. If you'd like to sponsor the show, please let us know. The New York Philharmonic played a concert under Jaap van Sweden, its music director. I'll read from my review. Itzhak Perlman took the stage to play a concerto with the orchestra, Brooks Violin Concerto No. 1 in G minor. When did Perlman first learn this concerto? When he was 10? He appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show when he was 13 in 1958. When did von Sweden, also a violinist, first learn it? Also 10? Perlman is now in his mid-70s. I once said to a famous violinist in an interview, I think he was about 40 at the time, violin playing is a young man's game, isn't it? The violinist denied it and mildly took offense. He might have been doing so because our interview was in front of an audience. I wonder what he would have said in private. I could read on, but how about some music? Itzhak Perlman recorded the Brook Concerto in 1984 with another Dutchman, Bernard Heitink, conducting, who else, the Concertgebouw Orchestra of Amsterdam. The orchestra had not yet acquired the adjective royal. That would come in 1988. We'll hear the last few minutes of the last movement of the concerto.
that's how Max Bruch, Max Bruch, ends his violin concerto number one in G minor. We heard Itzhak Perlman with the Concertgebouw Orchestra under Bernard Heitink. Another violinist rolled in to play a concerto with the New York Philharmonic, the Beethoven Concerto. Let me read, please. Joshua Bell played his heart out, not forgetting head to go with heart. He was disciplined and feeling, correct and soulful. There were hiccups or smudges here and there, but we weren't listening to a studio recording, thank heaven. The middle movement, Larghetto, sounded like an arioso, beautifully sung. Like his great predecessors, Joachim Auer, Chrysler, Wieniawski, and Milstein among them, Bell has written his own cadenzas. They are first-rate. They allow for virtuosity, but virtuosity is not the main point of them. Music is. They go with Beethoven, but are distinctive at the same time. In the first movement, Bell modulates freely and smartly. He seems to spend a fair amount of time in B-flat. He also introduces a touch, just a hint, of dissonance, which pleases the ear. When I was young, I knew a pianist who, when a college student, had turned pages for Dame Myra Hess in a recital. In the green room, she asked him what he was working on. He named a Mozart concerto. She said, Wonderful! Whose cadenzas are you using? The young man gulped and said, Well, I've written my own. Splendid, replied Dame Myra. I'm not gifted that way. I have a recording of Bell's cadenza for the first movement of the Beethoven, played by Bell, of course, and here it is.
We've heard a cadenza for the first movement of Beethoven's Violin Concerto, composed and played by Indiana's own Joshua Bell. The Modigliani Quartet played a concert in Weill Recital Hall, the upstairs annex at Carnegie Hall. It's a little complicated, this naming business. Speaking of naming, I'll read a bit from the review I wrote. The Modigliani was founded by friends in Paris in 2003. String quartets like to name themselves after artists. I think of the Moreau Quartet and the Calder Quartet, too. I could not think of quartets named after Michelangelo and Leonardo, but I've googled, and there are indeed such quartets. I also thought a modern American would say Da Vinci instead of Leonardo. Sure enough, there's a Da Vinci Quartet based in Colorado. The program of the Modigliani Quartet ended with Grieg, his string quartet in G minor. I'll read a speck more from my review. The final section, Presto al Saltarello, was performed with abandon, a controlled abandon, if you will. You almost wanted to get up and dance. The saltarello, if I can borrow an American term from our jazz age, swung. What is a saltarello, by the way? I'll quote from a dictionary. An Italian dance with a lively hop step beginning each measure. I don't have the Modigliani Quartet for you, but I have the Emerson, and we'll hear, as before, the end of the end.
Ladies and gentlemen, we've heard the last few minutes of the last movement of a string quartet, that by Grieg in G minor, played by the Emerson String Quartet. Not all string quartets are named after artists, we see. Emerson was a writer, and a philosopher, and one heck of an American. Well, stay on the subject of Americans. I'll now read from another review. A question for you. Who is America's first classical composer? Louis Moreau Gottschalk, 1829-1869, or George Frederick Bristow, 1825-1898, or someone else? Let's call it a tie. In any event, Leon Botstein, I think he says Botstein, excuse me, and the orchestra now, that's the orchestra called Tone, that's the abbreviation, performed Bristow's Symphony No. 4, The Arcadian. It was commissioned in the early 1870s by the Brooklyn Philharmonic for $100. According to a note in our program, this was the first symphony commissioned by an American orchestra from an American composer. As I listened to it, I thought, sounds awfully romantic. Then I thought, it was written in 1872 or so. What's it supposed to be, Jay? Serialist? Although there are no words, no singer or narrator, the symphony aims to tell a story. The first movement is headed, Emigrant's Journey Across the Plains. The second, Halt on the Prairie. Then, Indian War Dance. Finally, Arrival at the New Home, Rustic Festivities, and Dancing. Concerning this symphony, there were three separate notes in our program. One of them, reevaluating Bristow in 2021, began, Keeping the original troubling movement titles in George Frederick Bristow's Symphony No. 4, Arcadian, offers audiences today an important window into the process by which composers, like Bristow, 
participated in justifying and culturally normalizing the violent expansion into indigenous homelands by the United States. On it went in this vein. My main thought about the note was, if this is the price that must be paid in order to perform the symphony, so be it. Better than excluding the symphony altogether. But will there come a day, soon, when the symphony will be flat-out verboten? All right, that's the end of my reading. I'll give you a taste of that Indian war dance. It's denouement. minutes of the Indian War Dance, the third movement of George Frederick Bristow's Arcadian Symphony, performed by the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, that'd be in London, conducted by Carl Kruger. Carl, don't call me Freddy Kruger. At another New York Philharmonic concert, a young British cellist played the Dvorak Concerto. Here are the first two sentences of his bio. In great demand worldwide, Sheku Kane Mason became a household name in 2018 after his performance at the wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex at Windsor Castle was watched by nearly two billion people globally. He had already garnered renown as the winner of the 2016 BBC Young Musician Competition, 
the first black musician to take the title. Let me just add that, to most of us Yanks, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are Harry and Meghan. Here now are a few sentences at the end of my review. After he was finished, the audience rose as one for him. He played an encore, a version of I Say a Little Prayer, which Bert Bacharach and Hal David wrote for Dionne Warwick in the 1960s. Canne Mason not only played, he also whistled. A talented and musical being, this young man. I don't have a recording for you of I Say a Little Prayer. Wish I did. I mean, I don't have a recording by Sheku Kane Mason. We can hear Dion, Aretha, and others whenever we want. But I would like to play some Kane Mason unaccompanied. Here he is playing Blow the Wind Southerly, the British folk song. So beautiful. Maybe it's better sung with words, but what a pleasure to hear Sheku Kane Mason, the cellist, play Blow the Wind Southerly. We can play a recording by Kathleen Ferrier, even by a Spaniard, Victoria de los Angeles, some other time. Speaking of singing, Wilsonia Boyer, a soprano, gave an eclectic recital in New York. It ended with spirituals including Hold Out Your Light, in an arrangement by Lena McLynn. 
Lena McLean, incidentally, was born in 1928 and is still with us. For many years, she taught in the Chicago public schools, a formidable woman. I don't have Wilsonia Boyer, but a bass baritone, Benjamin Matthews, accompanied by Wayne Sanders. Matthews lived from 1933 to 2006. With Wayne Sanders, he founded Opera Ebony. Here they are, those two performers. Benjamin Matthews, accompanied by Wayne Sanders, singing the spiritual Hold Out Your Light in an arrangement by Lena McLean. You know what else Wilsonia Boyer sang that night? Genie. Genie with a Light Brown Hair by Stephen Foster in a wonderful arrangement by Ned Roram, born in 1923, and, like Lena McLean, still with us. Let's hear Susan Graham the American mezzo-soprano, accompanied by Scotland's Malcolm Martineau.
Well, I know you know Jeannie, but had you heard that arrangement? That was Stephen Foster's Jeannie with a Light Brown Hair, arranged by Ned Roram and performed by Susan Graham and Malcolm Martineau. Thank you for joining me. Let me glance back at Christmas. Not that you can't take a sleigh ride throughout the winter. Every year at Christmas, one hears sleigh ride a lot. I'm talking about the light orchestra piece that LaRory Anderson wrote in 1948 or so. In my judgment, it's perfect. Elegant, jazzy, heart-lifting, and perfectly proportioned. Perfectly crafted. This is a really good recording. Don't know by whom, but I'll play it. Thank you again, my friends. And thank you, LaRory Anderson. (laughs) 